0: This is Mark Kelly, and I'm part of the leadership at City Church Leeds. And I want to thank you for downloading this podcast. I hope that it blesses, encourages, and inspires you. If you find these podcasts helpful, would you please consider standing with us and supporting us? For more information about this and other resources and media, please visit citychurchleeds.net. This week's talk is called The Great Command, so it should give you some clue, and if you're on Facebook, you'll have even been given a link to read that bit of scripture for yourself that I'm about to read to you right now. So if you have a Bible app or a Bible, in fact, before we begin, I wonder whether, um, uh, let me just see now, Uh, John, could you just pray? And thank God for the blessing of his word and his Holy Spirit, and help us open our hearts and minds as I speak this morning. Lord, thank you that we don't come to a dead book. Mm. Um, Holy Spirit, thank you that you breathe on the page and you make the words live. And we pray you would anoint Mark with your living words and give us he- ears to hear you, Lord, thank you, Jesus. that we might receive it and walk in it and uh, you know great life and blessing. Release through this in Jesus name amen. amen amen thank you John that's really good okay so please turn with me, and you, me you probably all found already to Matthew 28 verses 16 through to 20 I'll give you a few moments just to find that and I'll just read it and I'm going to read from the New International Version Matthew 28 verses 16 through to 20 then the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go I am with you to the very end of the age. Just keep your thumb on that. Keep looking at it as I'm talking. Anyone who has been in church for any length of time or been through any kind of Sunday school teaching, you'll recognize that as something that's called the Great Commission. Uh, it's mentioned in Mark 16, verse 15, in a much simpler way and it just says this go into all the world and preach the gospel or preach the good news and even though we call this the Great Commission as I said at the beginning and the title of this talk this morning maybe we should actually start calling it the Great Command Jesus wasn't suggesting that we do what he said but he was commanding us to do it. Read that verse again if you don't quite believe and you're thinking it was a bit airy-fairy about it. He was commanding us to do it. He was commanding his followers, so therefore that's now you, you and me, to continue in the work that he began, which was, and this is from Luke 19 verse 10, this was on Facebook, which is to seek and to save that which was lost. The entire reason that Jesus Christ came to earth was to seek and to save and to see his kingdom come. The reason that Jesus healed the sick and restored the paralyzed was to seek and to save. The reason that Jesus taught what he taught and spoke how he spoke was to seek and to save. The reason that Jesus fed thousands with miracles and provided for them was to what? It was to seek and to save. The reason that Jesus invited people around them and taught them was to seek and to save. The entire reason that Jesus died on the cross was to what? To seek and to save. Jesus gave those who believe in him the great commission. So if we believe him, we've also been given this great commission. Jesus told those who believed in him to copy his example. And if, as we've said, if Jesus' number one priority was to seek and to save that which was lost, and if we claim to be followers of Christ, then what should be our number one priority? If God's Word says that we are to imitate Christ as it does in many places, what should be our priority? And I'm prompted to say that this might be challenging you because you accept it intellectually, but in your heart you go, yeah, but what about that, and what about this, and what about the other? If we make that the number one priority to seek and to save that which is lost, this, that, and the other will start lining themselves up. In looking at this great command then of Jesus, I want us to first understand what we mean when we're talking about the lost, and I want to help us by asking us three questions, and, and I'm going to answer those questions. So, the first question, then, a bit of an obvious one Who are the lost? If we're, the cha- if we're to change the way that we think and act, and we're concerned and burdened for the lost, I think we've got to find out exactly who. This lost lot are. And the phrase that we we read in Scripture, the lost, carries with it meaning I don't think we normally use or think about when we say it. So I'm going to get specific with the word lost. And the word in Greek that we translate it from in the New Testament is this word apolimii. I'll say it again, apolimii. A-P-O-L-L-Y-M-I. English words that you use to describe this word and fill out this Greek word are things like useless, perished, ruined, destroyed. And you can also use phrases like to declare that one must be put to death, put out of the way Entirely. And we also find it's used as a metaphor as those who will endure misery in hell for eternity. I'll pause. Let that sink in. I've looked it up. I'm not making it up. I'm not exaggerating. These are the words of which we translate that into the word lost from these words. Because there's another Greek word, and this might be a little bit more palatable, I think it's just as powerful. There's another Greek word which is as useful as well in better understanding this word lost. And this is actually the base word that makes up that word apolimi. And this word is the word apo or apu. I wasn't quite sure how to pronounce it. Let's say apo. It sounds a little bit better. Which simply means this. And I love it how one word means this, right? Simply means this. Kind of separation of one thing from another by which the union or fellowship of the two is destroyed So I'll say that again kind of separation from one thing from another by which the union or fellowship of the two is destroyed So we can see I hope just through that simple kind of word investigation that in the Bible Being lost means so much more than just wandering off and needing to be found. To be lost. And I did that because we get a bit flouncy about these terms. We get a little bit light about these terms. And that when we're talking about somebody's eternal life, whether that be in heaven or hell, I think it starts to get really, really, really important. So in the Bible, it means so much more than just wandering off because to be lost means that you are putting at risk your very soul with eternity in hell. So I want you to take a minute now and I'd like you to identify, maybe close your eyes if it helps, whatever helps, look up into the heavens, look at the, whatever helps and identify people in your life who are in quotes, lost. Just, just have a think. Just, just close your eyes. Think about those people who are lost. Family, friends, work, colleagues. Say their names in your head. Think about them. Think about how they talk, how they sound, what kind of things they do. How do they respond to stuff? Do they have a sense of humor? Are they a bit miserable? Why are you friends with them? You know. Think about that. And as you're thinking about these people, I want you to think, are you able to explain to these people what being lost actually means and why it's not a good thing to be? And in this imaginary conversation in your head, are you able to hear their replies? Are you able to then understand their attitudes And why they're responding, why they're responding. And are you beginning to understand where they're coming from? Have that little conversation in your head and think about how they would reply. If you find that these folks are happy to be lost, maybe they would agree with some of these quotes that I found. So this first quote, in heaven, all the interesting people are missing. In heaven, all the interesting people are missing. And that was from a German philosopher called Friedrich Nietzsche. And what was he saying when he said that? Well, he say, I think he's saying that this means that these people that you're thinking of and that quite happy to be in lost, that they, they like their life and they like the, the sin that they're in. They might even recognize that they're in sin, and it means that maybe they feel like God would cramp the kind of life that they want to have. It means that they like living their life with their own ideas, and in the manner that they have chosen without any help from any kind of higher power, perhaps they feel that religion is boring, archaic, or even a crutch. Maybe that they'd agree with a gentleman called Peter O'Toole, and I've got to be honest, I was Trying to practice how Peter O'Toole sounded this morning, but I realized I sounded nothing like him, so I'm not going to try. He, he's an actor who said this uh, When did I realize I was God? I was praying, and I suddenly realized I was talking to myself. So, this means that lost people are the ultimate authority on everything in their life, they choose what is right and what is wrong they make all the decisions they decide to be God and shape life therefore in their own image or maybe these folks that are in your head these friends these colleagues these families when you're asking the questions when you're talking about God maybe they agree with another actor called Jim Carrey who said maybe there is no actual place called hell Maybe hell is just having to listen to our grandparents breathe through their noses when they're eating sandwiches. (laughs) You can probably hear Jim Carrey say that, can't you? And this means that they'll probably look at the truths of Scripture lightly and might not believe in heaven or hell. Lost people don't see through God's eyes. They make light of really serious stuff really serious spiritual stuff and finally maybe they might agree with um this director and also a screenwriter and i think he acted as well doesn't do that so much these days called woody allen who's quoted as once saying how can i believe in god when just last week i got my tongue caught in the roller of an electric typewriter and this means that they look around the world And they can't bring themselves to believe in God because all they see is evil and injustice and pain. They question the God of love in the Bible in what they see in the world around them. And they have question after question after question about God that must have answers. Being lost means that Jesus is not the Savior and the lord of their life being lost means that eternity is uncertain being lost means that they do it their way and think nothing of god's way so the second question we've identified a little bit about who are the lost what kind of things would they think how would they respond what can we do for them What can me and you who have given our lives to Christ, what can we do for them? Firstly, we can teach and we can explain what God the Father is all about. When we get the opportunity, maybe we can read to them passages that speak about our loving Heavenly Father. In fact, even better than that, maybe we can demonstrate the passages through who we are when we are with them. As it has been so wonderfully demonstrated this morning, and that's why it's important to take time when people are leaving, going on and doing other things, because that's what you do in a family. We are all part of a one huge family. As true believers, as Christians, as followers of Christ, we are part of one huge family and this family belongs to God. This family here, this little bit of the family belongs to God. We've been adopted into his family. And we, as I'm sure so many of us can testify, we can enjoy the rewards that come with being part of God's family. You and me, we, we lead such good lives among those that don't know God. And we want them to see us living those lives so that they can become part of God's house. Secondly, we can share all about who? Now this should have been a quicker answer than that Share all about who Jesus. Jesus the beloved son we need to share with these people the difference that Jesus has made in our lives we need to share why Jesus came to earth and what sacrifices he made for us all for us all even if they don't want to believe it you just say well I'm sorry you don't believe it it's still true It doesn't make it any the less true because you go, blah, 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 I'm not hearing it. It's still true. He still died for you. And you explain why and what he did. Explain why he came to earth and what sacrifices did he make. And we need to share his commands. And they explained over and over God's good and pleasing, perfect will for our lives. We don't have a life, I don't have a life, devoid of fun and adventure. But I try my best, and with the help of Jesus I can. I can have a life that has no regrets, no guilt, and I certainly have a hope in eternity that nothing else can match. Nothing else can match. We need to explain about what having Jesus as Lord and Savior means. So Jesus being Lord means that he has the first priority in our lives. And we live according to his will and direction and thought. Jesus being a saviour means that we're free from guilt and sin and punishment. And that we have instead peace, strength in temptation and the promise of heaven forever with God. Don't say this often, can I get an amen? Thirdly, we can show the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives and explain to them that the same power and peace can be theirs. How many of us, dangerous, I'm going off script now, how many of us have friends and colleagues, and maybe in this imaginary conversation that you had with them, um, they say something like, you know, uh, maybe it's a year or so, maybe it's a few months, I don't know, whatever the time scale is, and they go, wow, I can really see a difference in you. Since you um, became a Christian, it, it's just amazing. You, your attitude's better. You, do, you seem more patient. You seem more kind. There's just, lo- I mean, you were a great guy or gal before, but there's something's changed about it. I want to spend more time with you. I want to get people to get to know you. And you go, Well, that's, that's because of Jesus. Do you want to get to know him too? Oh, no, that's good for you, but it might not be good for me. What? You just said that I, I, I'm, I'm kinder, I'm more generous, I'm more giving, I'm more lovable. You want to introduce people to me, but you don't want to be that person? They don't want the same power and peace for whatever strange reason they can come up with. They generally can't come up with a reason. They just say, it's not for me. We're not alone in this world. We don't live a life of faith by ourselves. We have. What do we have? We have a constant companion. We have a counselor. We have a gift from God. An inner power, if that helps explain it, that only comes from having Jesus as our Lord and as our Savior. So number three, here's question three. What should be our commitment to the lost? I read a quote, I don't know where it's from. It says something along these lines. One of the greatest misconceptions is the idea so prevalent among Christians that men and women do not really want to know God. And while it's true, I think, and again, this imaginary conversation that you had with these people, um, they may present to us this idea uh, that they like the way of life they have and that they only need themselves and not God, but actually... I think and I suggest that deep down, this is a lie that people tell themselves and us. And they say it so often, so much, that it becomes weirdly true in their heads. If me and you are made in God's image, then for me there's something a lot more deeply spiritual and a lot more connected than, than people who don't believe would like to acknowledge. The Holy Spirit is working in our world, in our country, in this city, in our neighborhoods, and in our streets. And I wholly believe that, and he's working with our families. And he creates such a hunger for God in the hearts of many, many people. I think that what people do is that they try and fill that that spiritual void with other stuff, with paganism, with witchcraft, with uh, a spiritualist church, with um, uh, being a Jehovah's Witness, with Buddhism, with uh, um, weirdly over-spiritual types of yoga, you know, all that kind of stuff. that They fill it with other things because they don't want to accept. They recognize there's a need for the spiritual, but they don't want to accept Jesus as their Lord and their saviour, because that means making yourself accountable, that means committing yourself to something, that means changing your lifestyle, that means stepping out from where you once were into something where you are now and leaving all that crap behind. But they quite like the, excuse me, the crap, they like the beers, they like the drugs, they like the hedonistic lifestyle, they like sleep, they like special cuddles. (laughs) with lots of people. They like all that stuff. They don't want to leave that behind because it gets boring, they suggest. But I think, I think, I really believe this, that deep down, the majority of believers throughout the world, that these lost people are ready to receive Christ when, and here's another quote, when they're properly approached with a clear and simple presentation for the gospel by a spirit-filled witness. Say it again and maybe I'll open it up. Properly approached with a clear and simple presentation for the gospel by a spirit-filled witness. And I don't just mean you whip your PowerPoint out in your computer and you give them an A to B presentation about what it means to be a believer and to what it means to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. But the demonstration is our lives. Lives that are filled with the Spirit. And that's what I mean by being a witness. Somebody who's saying, I can attest for who this person is. Yeah, I think this is quite sad. I think for whatever reasons, I can't fathom what the reasons are, but I believe they're there. There are Christians out there, and there may even be Christians amongst us, who've probably never introduced a single person to our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. And I don't necessarily mean that, you, that you, you, you go down the whole road, that you see them saved, that they just, just you open up the conversation. That you, you, as well as demonstrating by your life, you actually say the words. They come out of your mouth and they say, I believe in Jesus and I think you should too. Because he, and all that, he died for you. You give them the good news, the gospel message. I think there are people out there who don't do it. Never introduce them, like I said, to the idea of an amazing saviour who can turn their life around when they didn't even realise it needed turning. We know don't we we know who these lost people are and we know what we can do for them we just need to remember our purpose this great command and concentrate on it forget all else concentrate on that put everything else just concentrate on that we've got to get and we've got to keep our focus We've got to make an effort to reach the lost. You've got to make an effort to reach the lost. We've got to be discipling and teaching those of us who are already in the church on how to do this. We teach one another. When Christians, when we who believe lose our focus, not only do we begin to strive for the wrong things... We begin to give in to fear and persecution, and we can quickly forget what our loving, wonderful Father has done for us when we begin to strive. The reason a number of Christians today have no peace and have no joy is that they live lives full of anxiety and unnecessary depression. When Christians forget the focus and purpose of being alive, they start trusting in other things. But that's said to be like building your house on sand. And when the storm comes, it's going to come crashing down. When we take our focus off Jesus and refuse to do the thing he asks of us, particularly this great command of seeking and saving the lost, it's easy. To forget it's easy to forget that God so loved the world that he sent his only son and that son Jesus Christ willingly stepped out of a glorious heaven and became a human being it's easy to forget that Jesus endured everything that the devil threw at him it's easy to forget that he was persecuted and mocked and crucified by the very people that he came to save And it's easy to forget that He took us, me and you, who were dead through sin, and made us alive in Christ. That He took our debt. He brought us back from sin by pouring out His precious blood. That He made atonement for us, that is, He made amends. That He justified us, that He made us right with God. And that Jesus to this very day, to this very minute, to this very second intercedes for each and every one of us at the right hand of his father. Not because he had to, but because he loves us unconditionally. But when life gets busy and when people start rejecting you and things get hard, we can easily forget. So what's the conclusion To all this well guess what folks we're free to tell the world about Jesus we're free to tell the world his message and to tell them about his life we are free you are free to go to your family members your next-door neighbors or to all the countries of the world and say we are free and we're gonna tell you about Jesus we're free to baptize We're free to teach. And we do all of this, all of this, with Jesus at our side. And the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. The authority that Christ has, we have. He is with us to the very end. And we should go out baptizing people in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. I was going to end there, so that's a lot to just think about, it's a simple message, but um, I came across this, this kind of blog or article, I, I, I don't know what it is really, it's, it's on churchleaders.com and it's just, the title intrigued me, never give up on evangelism, seriously Never. That's what the the title was, Never Give Up on Evangelism, Seriously, Never. And I'm going to read it to you if you don't mind. I'll miss out the first bit because he's trying to be funny. So, he's talking about this guy called Russell. He's reminded about this guy called Russell. And he says, I don't even know his last name. I met him just once more than 15 years ago i'll read it to you. i met russell in the food court of westfield miranda not usually a venue for life-changing encounters i'd just finished lunch and was heading for the escalator when russell politely stopped me and asked if we could chat russell was a christian and he wanted to talk to me about jesus but i wasn't interested I'd grown up in a church-going family, I'd heard the good news of Jesus' death and resurrection most weeks at church or youth group, and at one time called myself a Christian. But at the age of 16, I slowly started wandering away from church. By the time I met Russell, any mention of Jesus made me feel slightly awkward, maybe even a little bit guilty or a bit foolish. I'd never decisively rejected the truth of the Bible. In fact, I was intellectually persuaded that it was true. I just decided that the other things in life were much more important and more interesting. So I tried my best to forget what I knew. Hearing about God, especially from someone like Russell, who was clearly excited about his relationship with Jesus, was a challenge I could do without. Fortunately, in the providence of God, not only was I uninterested in hearing the name of Jesus, I was too polite to say no to Russell. So I talked to him for what I think was about 15 minutes. It's a vague memory, but I knew he asked me what I thought about Jesus. If I had read the Bible and why I'd stopped going to church. He then explained the gospel to me and generally encouraged me to reconsider Jesus' place in my life. For some reason when he asked for my phone number to continue the conversation i gave it to him and a couple of nights later to my surprise russell called and i thought wow this guy really cares about me but i still didn't want to talk russell invited me to church he asked me to another christian meeting on the weekend he encouraged me to seriously consider what i believed in each case i had an excuse we ended the phone call politely enough but i managed to rebuff All of Russell's kind and patient attempts to point me back to Jesus. Russell must have ended that phone call feeling totally discouraged. He must have felt like it was a complete waste of time. I rejected Jesus, so maybe he thought I rejected him. Maybe Russell felt like he had failed but he hadn't failed at all. Not only was Russell faithful with the gospel opportunity that God gave him, which is all any of us can ever do, but in the plans and purposes of God, his genuine efforts to share the gospel with me were a key part in my returning to church and coming to a saving faith in Jesus. Over the next few months, those conversations with Russell, not to mention his passion for Jesus, stayed with me like a splinter In my mind, Jesus was back on my agenda. And one day, a long-time Christian friend invited me to join some friends from his church on a weekend trip to the snow. While there, my old youth minister invited me back to church. The rest, as they say, is history. By the beginning of the next year, God had wonderfully opened my eyes to the truth about Jesus. And for the first time, I'd come to a genuine, loving, living faith in him. And this is what's important about this story for me it goes on to say I haven't met Russell again I probably never will honestly I, I couldn't pick him out of the crowd but even though you may never know it God used Russell at a crucial point in my life his willingness to share his faith his passion for Jesus and his genuine care all made a vital impression and he goes on to ask ever been in Russell's shoes ever put yourself out there for Jesus only to be rejected ever cared about someone but despaired as they show no interest in the greatest story ever told ever felt like a gospel opportunity slipped through your fingers and went nowhere As Christians seeking to share our faith in Jesus, it often feels fruitless. And sometimes we may have the joy of seeing someone respond warmly and positively. We might even be the person that God uses to bring them to faith. But when that happens, you're probably standing on the shoulders of Russell's of the world. You're probably the final link in the chain of people that God has used. When evangelism seems pointless, when it seems like you've failed and rejected, don't give up. Remember the big picture, that God is sovereign, (laughs) and you're not the only Christian out there. If you've faithfully shared the gospel and shown a genuine care, and I think that's important, shown a genuine care for the person you're evangelizing, you've succeeded. And who knows, maybe you'll be that person's Russell. A side of eternity we might never know, the ultimate outcome of our simple, faithful, evangelistic endeavors, but God might just use you to awaken someone's conscience, to plant a splinter in their mind, to lay the foundation for a future response to the gospel. Do your part and trust the rest to God. Thank you.